0: Welcome to The Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesham Montasser. This episode is extra special, by the way, as it marks our 50th episode, and I cannot tell you how much fun it's been so far. I also want to take a moment to thank Farah Al-Sharif, our content director, and Chirag Desai, our producer, who's sometimes a little grumpy, but has put up with me and my shenanigans, and have been instrumental in making this podcast not only successful, but also fun and accessible to a whole host of listeners. To commemorate our 50th, we've got two episodes for you today. A few weeks ago, the inaugural MENA's 50 best restaurant list was announced as part of a regional push to extend the world's 50 best list to the Middle East. This was a watershed moment for our region, giving its vibrant food scene recognition on a global platform. People have been saying for years that Dubai and other parts of the region have a fantastic food scene, and this has finally been picked up by the major F&B guys with Michelin also announcing its entry into our markets later this year. So, we wanted to dig in into the list itself, how it came about and what it means for the region. On this episode, we're covering the mechanics of the list, how the voting works, who votes and how the MENA 50 best list compares to our lists around the world. We are less concerned with who won and more with how they won and what made those restaurants stand out to the jury. I also wanted to understand what impact the list has on some of those that made it. So we'll be joined by an old friend of the show, Chris Khalifa, who you may remember as the founder of Zuba, which is one of the Egyptian restaurants that made the list. But before all that, I'll be talking to Claudia de Brito, who serves as Mena's 50-best Academy Chair for the Gulf region, and one of our show's former guests and friends, Samantha Wood, aka Fodiva. I'm very happy to have you today. I'm going to jump right in. Uh, Men of 50 Best just happened, the awards. A lot of buzz. Before, during, and after. So could you please just maybe start off, Claudia, just explain to us a little bit, what are those awards? Because I feel like a lot of people have been focused on the rankings, who's in, who's out. They're not sure about the mechanics. Give us also a bit of a context within kind of more global nature uh, is this a Mena award because it's not it's a global awards and why did they come to this part of the world
1: it, it's a it's a list that was started by uh, William Reed publishing it's a publisher based out of the UK it, How it started long ago? as mind. about twenty years ago okay. now and it started as a a global list put together by editors of where you know readers should be dining you know kind of restaurants not to miss. Uh, and then it kind of evolved into this event that we now know as world's 50, 50 best, best restaurants. So that started um, and then regional lists were introduced in uh, two thousand thirteen how many regions do we have so uh, we have Asia's 50 best restaurants and Latin America's 50 best restaurants so Mina's 50 best restaurants is the first regional list to be introduced since then that's and awesome. so that was introduced this year can
0: you be included in world's 50 best and in a regional list or yes. that's not possible you could yes you can okay
1: so so worlds is exactly what it says on the tin okay. so any restaurant in the world uh, can be included in it and then for the regional lists only the restaurants that are in that region
0: and how could we compare to say something that people may be familiar with like a Michelin type rating how does that compare
1: so the way I differentiate it is that it's not a fine dining dining list Uh, it's where you've had the best experience, the best dining experience over the past 12 months. So it could be, you know, white tablecloths and cloches. Or happen. it could be street food. You know, it's it's just where you happen to have had your best experience over the past 12 months. The restaurants that you're buzzing about, the restaurants that you wanna tell your friends about.
0: And why do you think they've decided to come to this part of the world? I mean, and why now?
1: I think it's been a long time coming. I think, um, you know, for a few years now, there have been uh, some some moves in the Middle East in terms of homegrown scene. I know Samantha can probably really back me up on this. Absolutely. Um, well,
0: Samantha has her own rival list, by the way. <laughs> be very I it. know. Yeah. I just, know. So yeah, I know. I just Pistols at dawn. Just that was yeah. just out oh. as well, off the press oh, last week. Oh. So I mean, you know, watch out.
1: I know. I know. I know. We're gonna we're gonna meet each other in a dark alley.
0: After
1: this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that's how I would differentiate it. So it's it's okay. it's more of a buzzing list so the reason it came sorry to answer your question the reason why now it has been a long time coming there is a scene here there's a lot of talent here there are a lot of great restaurants here and when I say here I mean in the region so we so MENA for us is 19 countries uh and 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 so we have a presence in all of those countries or most um and and any restaurants in any of those countries can can make it on onto the list.
0: So there is no ratio per country or anything like that.
1: There is a quota. So okay. so in there terms of quota. sorry, in terms of restaurants, no. But in terms of your obviously, yeah, it
0: has to be varied. It has to be diverse.
1: It, it count. It, it matters. What matters are the votes. Okay. So. If you know, everyone is voting for restaurants in Lebanon, for example, then you'll get a lot of re- Lebanese re- restaurants on of the course. list. Um, you know, it's kind of what happened this year. We had a very big presence of restaurants from Dubai and from the UAE. It's probably because there are more restaurants per capita uh, in in the uae and in dubai than most other countries and i was going to
0: get into that in a minute but just to clarify one last thing here if you don't mind who's voting
1: we have three different criteria of voters Mm -hmm. Uh, so there are chefs and restaurateurs is one profile uh media so it could be food writers uh, critics bloggers and then well-travelled gourmands. So these are people who are not necessarily involved in the F and B industry professionally, but people who take it upon themselves to go and travel and and um, eat at the world's best restaurants and. Okay, and as a
0: side note, how can I get the title world? A, a well-traveled gourmand. I feel like that, that should be my title. <laughs> Hashim,
1: well, you are a well-traveled yeah. if I, if gourmand. If I were a
0: fular, for example, <laughs> would that help? Like, I just want to know for next year, when we do this next time, I'm going to be a well-traveled gourmand. I've decided this right now, but anyway. Put it on your Instagram
1: <laughs> profile and yeah, then that's people will believe you. I need
0: to earn it first. I feel the fular would really help. But I this is a different conversation. But uh, okay, that's that's very clear. On that note, Samantha... Um, I want to get your perspective on this. You obviously know that Dubai and the UAE scene really well. You've been here for for many years and very immersed, including the homegrown scene, which you've covered in your own list. Did you feel that um, when you're looking at a MENA list, given what Claudia said, the density of restaurants, high quality restaurants, frankly, in Dubai especially, um, that it was invariable that it would be a bit disproportionate. In other words, that maybe other countries are growing very fast. Abu Dhabi's one, or city Saudi definitely one, Egypt as well, but they have not caught up maybe to Dubai, and therefore that list will be disproportionately Dubai-based.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was a given that there would be a high proportion of of UAE restaurants, and actually, it's more um, Dubai than 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 Abu Dhabi definitely. I did think Israel would would get quite a few as well. Mm. Um, I was surprised they didn't get as many as they did, because they do have a very strong um, scene there, from what I can see. I haven't um, obviously Traveled visited there. there in a long time, since I was little, actually, from Cyprus. Um, but um, yeah, definitely. And I think that's a reflection of, as uh, Claudia said, per- restaurants per capita, um, and and also in terms of top of mind as well.
0: Yeah, I think the top of mind is very important. What happens as you start having restaurants, which we're seeing? We're seeing a big trend of restaurants, for example, opening up in Saudi that are originally Dubai-based, homegrown concepts. How do you guys look at this now? So, uh, you know, if we have, let's use somebody from the list, just a big name, Zuma. You have a Zuma Dubai, Zuma Abu Dhabi, Zuma Uh, And they're, you know, pretty close, right? The menu is very, very similar. How do we, how do you differentiate? I want to hear both your points of view on this. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, we can't punish restaurants for being consistent.
0: Of course not. You
1: know, Um, and yeah, we did see a few repeated brands on the list.
0: So do you pick one then? No, it's it's what people vote for. It's based on votes.
1: So if it just so happens that people have had their best experience, you know, people in Saudi have had their best experience at LPM, Riyadh, and people in Dubai have had their best experience in, you know, LPM and DIFC, then... So they could
0: both pop up on the list? Yes. Possibly? And they did. And they did. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So explain to us what what happened there. Yeah,
2: you actually had, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Claudia, you had LPM, you had LPM Dubai, LPM Mm Riyadh, Koya, you had Dubai and Abu Dhabi, Yeah. and Zuma, Dubai at number two.
0: And all of them in the same group, huh? I mean, mean, holding group. Yes, yes. interesting, right? Um,
2: That was a little bit predictable, I think. Um, I was actually surprised not to see more imported concepts on the list, given given the history of Dubai. Personally, I wouldn't like to see more, because obviously I'm a huge proponent of homegrown, and that's a sign of a maturing restaurancy. But we did see, um, I think it was 12 out of those 19 restaurants that are... Homegrown? Was that? Homegrown, yeah. We're talking UAE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Very good sign. That's a clear indicator that we are moving away from imported and we're embracing homegrown, independently operated restaurants.
0: Um, Would you envisage that 10 years from now, that list would be almost exclusively homegrown?
2: I hope a year or two years from now.
0: Okay. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) That's my personal view. Okay.
2: But yes, it might take a little bit longer. But you think that that is the trend? Yes, hundred percent.
0: And is that the trend, Claudia? That you see globally? So when you look at other lists in comparison, say Asia, or, or is it mostly homegrown, or is it again a mix? Yeah,
1: I, I would say it's mostly homegrown. It's homegrown. mostly homegrown. I mean, I think someone said that you know. Uh, uh, you know, Azuma or an LPM would never make it onto the world's list, which is actually wrong, mm. um, because they did make it. On Azuma did make it onto the world's list. I did not think it was top fifty, but it was you know in the nineties somewhere.
0: And why would they not make the list? What, what do people think it wouldn't make the list? Uh, because I, they are kind of a global chain, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I, I think people. Uh, first of all, people like to have opinions, <laughs> uh, and know. Uh, <laughs> we're all here, and uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Sorry. Sharing us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> company included um and then also i think a lot of people are under the impression that this is a homegrown list uh, it isn't if you've had your best experience at an imported concept why shouldn't you be honest and say that you've had your best experience there i mean we all dine at, at imported concepts i mean we go hungry if we didn't probably not so much now but um i really don't believe in punishing a concept for being consistent and for being high quality quality. the talent is here It's, it's being run by local talent i think we also have to be supportive of of uh of local talent even though the concept might not be local it's a reflection of what we have at the moment and i would rather have that and let us analyze it and take stock and look at it and see what needs to be done, the work that needs to be done in terms of developing our homegrown scene, than being dishonest and saying, oh yeah, I think I've had my best experience at you know, XX restaurant in 100%. international city, uh,
0: and, and look, you haven't.
2: And, you know. And also cre- credit to, to LPM and Zuma Dubai, for instance. If it wasn't for them opening in DIFC, just pre-2008, we would not have um, the the restaurant scene that we have 100%. now outside hotels.
0: 100%. And as someone yeah. who runs a homegrown brand or operates a homegrown brand, I can tell you as well, to your point, Claudia, as well, in many ways, we look up to them and we go there. I mean, I used to go and study Zuma Bar just for... The consistency, I mean, even little things, right? I mean, you know, at this particular hour, this would happen. The music would be at this level. You know, the bar would look this way. So, absolutely. And you have a lot to learn. And I think it's up to local operators if they want to get to on the list, like Claudia said, is to pick up their game. And if that if that benchmark is set by global brands like Zoma, be it, hopefully to your point, in a couple of years, that benchmark will be set by uh, homegrown brands. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the regional trends, including how licensed and unlicensed concepts appeared side by side on the list, plus my chat with Chris Khalifa from Zuba, that's right after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to our special 50th episode featuring Claudia De Brito and Samantha Wood on the inaugural MENA 50 Best List. You've given us your view on homegrown versus non-homegrown. I want to hear your view also on licensed versus unlicensed. This is not something that many other regions deal with, and we've seen a bit of both. In fact, the top one was an unlicensed homegrown uh, brand, which is Three Fills, which is formidable. So, what's your view on 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 this, uh, Samantha? Yeah, I
2: think that was a welcome surprise, actually, to see so many independent, self-owned homegrown unlicensed concepts on that list and even the number one. Um, So I, I was absolutely delighted that Three Fills got that number one spot. Um, they definitely deserve it. And I'm glad Akmal got credit as well on stage for coming up with that concept, even though he's no longer part of it. Correct. But yeah, very and bittersweet,
0: huh? Yeah, him, very, sure. very yeah. bittersweet. Yeah.
2: yeah, very much so. What was also interesting was the high number, and it was 12 Japanese restaurants yes, that. on that list. That was another big surprise, I think, for everyone. But I think speaks, I don't think that's a negative. I think it just speaks to the trend at the moment.
0: I was going to say, do you think think it speaks to a global trend?
2: I'd say more regional, really. I think we're still in this part of the world a little bit behind global trends. We tend to pick up what's going on around the world and then um, start implementing them here.
0: Do you think that this list over time you'd see equal, not equal, but more of a representation across at least the bigger countries, by that I mean UAE, Saudi, Egypt? And then maybe some of the others.
2: Yeah, I think so, because I think the fact that you have this MENA list um, will now, I mean, another reason for that is to help raise standards as well. Um, People want to be on that list. Now that they've seen the first list, um, they want to be on that list. And the ones that didn't make the cut are are thinking, well, why wasn't I on the list? Yes. And we'll look at how do they get on that list for next year, so I think it will help raise standards. Um, uh, it will also, in terms of, help them get their share of voice as well out there, um, and that's across the board, not just here, UAE, Egypt, all, all the other countries.
0: And if you were voting, what would you be looking for? So, if you were today walk into restaurant, and let's say you were on that on that com- uh, on that you know voting committee, um, what are the things that? Is it all food? Is it I mean, Claudia spoke about experience earlier. Is it experiential? I mean, do you can you give us kind of a sense of what, and, and obviously, especially from your vantage point, because you have your own list and you look at homegrown, so it's not that far from that. What, what would you look at?
2: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I actually look across all parameters. Food is as equally important as service, as atmosphere, as location, as interior. I want it to tick every single box. Value for money is very important for me. Um, if I'm going to an unlicensed restaurant, I don't want to be paying what I'm paying to go to a licensed restaurant. It needs to be more affordable because the experience is And at a is, licensed is restaurant, yeah. do you
0: care if you have licensed restaurants that have very expensive wine lists, for example, and others that don't? Is that also a factor for you?
2: It needs to... Go, it goes back to the value for money.
0: They need to earn it. If they, you're going to yeah, spend a lot of uh, money, it needs to a, be worth it.
2: Hundred, hundred percent. And, and whether it's, and you have some restaurants that become special occasion restaurants, which is why I think license can get away with being at a higher price point because you're going to, with some high-end license, you will go there. Um, you won't be going there regularly. It's a special occasion. You might go there once, twice, three times a year as a general person that's dining out, not as someone like myself that obviously goes out regularly.
0: And um, uh, Claudia, uh, who do you feel is the target audience for those lists? And what have you seen uh, uh, elsewhere where this list exists? I mean, is it the tourists landing in Cairo or Dubai or Riyadh? Is it people like ourselves that live here? Is it a mix?
1: I do think it's a mix. Uh, I I do think that Now, uh, now that the list is out, it's mainly industry looking at it because they've been directly affected by it. Right. Um, But I do think it will trickle down to to lists in, you know, kind of media. And you'll you'll see, you know, like top five restaurants in Saudi, according to blah, blah, blah. Top 10 Japanese concepts in uh, Dubai, according to you know, Mina's 50 best, so you'll start seeing those, Um, and I think it's great for travel, like, when I travel, I will, you know, look at, you know, wherever it happens uh, to be that I'm going, if I'm going to Asia, I'll look at the Asia's list, or if I'm going anywhere else, I'll look at worlds and see, you know, kind of what's been on the list, if it, you know, if it works that I can go, it's, it's like a friendly recommendation of, you know, so, you know, a friend in that country that you'd uh, you
0: trust. Well, what's so interesting about this list is, you know, you used to, you have Michelin, which is sort of, you know, I'm going somewhere, a new country, and I know it's going to be those, the names on the list are going to be fine dining. They'll typically be expensive. They'll be exclusive. And maybe I'll pick one or two because it's an indulgence, or maybe more. And then typically people, I'm talking about myself when I travel, are looking also for kind of hole in the walls, undiscovered gems. You're trying to mix the two. I mean, Samantha and I have had discussion offline, for example, for her list, it's homegrown concepts, but many of them are these undiscovered that she might bring out to the surface, and yeah. that's absolutely great. Mm. You guys are, or Men of Fifty best, best, is ambitious. Is trying to mix the two, low and high, so to speak. Uh, that's hard
1: because they can both be best. You know, it. It's not. You know, the price True. that you pay is is not does not determine whether you have a good meal or not no, 100% you know so it, so I don't think uh, you know for this list specifically I think it was important for it to be inclusive um and it's more about community right 100%. so so whether you're you know running a fine dining restaurant or a hole in the wall or you know a plastic chair place in a hawker center in Singapore or whatever it is you're still part of this community and it's conversations that I keep having with chefs who are on the list. And, you know, we had a couple of visiting chefs in Abu Dhabi. And um, not to name drop, but I'm going to name drop. Um go for was,
2: it. <laughs> But if you saying, open that door, we're uh, all going to name drop. Uh, uh, well, know, who am I going to
0: name I drop? met Keira Knightley at least twice, uh, so I just want to say that for the record. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, here we go. Okay, fine. Um,
1: so, I was speaking to um, uh, Junior Roy from um, Odette in, in Singapore, and he topped the list, the Asia's list, twice. And I asked him, and this was just before the list came out, and I asked him, you know, it's a what is this feeling? How does it change you as a chef or how does it change your restaurant to be given this recognition? And, and he said, you know, it's, it's really, first of all, it's really exciting. You know, everyone suddenly wants to speak to you, but after all of that dies down, it's the community that's left. You are now part of this community of chefs and you can pick up the phone and call you know, Rene yeah. or Virgilio or, yeah. and then or they will take your whoever call. it is and they will take your call. And it, it become and then you see each other at the events around the world. You know, obviously it's been on hold for a couple of years, but it's starting to come back again. And and you touch base and you all are really, really invested in this and you know how much you work um, to to get on this list, to stay on the list. Um, and you know how much it means to people. And it's it's community. And I feel like sometimes it's the sense of community that we're missing here in this region amongst chefs and restaurateurs where there's more competition than community. 100%.
0: This is early days, right? Yeah. Speaking of how being on the list like MENA 50 Best could be a life-changing moment for the restaurant and their team, I spoke to one of our former guests, Chris Khalifa, whose Cairo-based restaurant zuba made it to the MENA 50 Best list this year. I asked him how he felt to be awarded the equivalent of the Oscars for restaurants.
3: <laughs> yeah, the Oscars of restaurants make it seem a lot, uh, a lot more dramatic. but um, well, the know, whole point been... of this is the only way for me to get more audiences to sound dramatic. To make it sound like the Oscars, no, fair enough. Uh, so, so on that, uh, nuts. I mean, it's pretty amazing. We're uh, we're kind of. Um, it's not something starting Zuba that we've ever really strived for, right? I think uh, maybe places, people who start fine dining restaurants, this is kind of their. Um, this would be the holy grail uh, for us. We just never considered that we would ever be in contention for something like this. So it's not anything we ever woke up or slept dreaming about. Um, so to be recognized in it is kind of unbelievable. Um, I think I I went through the list and uh, we're definitely by a landslide the cheapest restaurant on this list. Yeah but I think
0: look we talked to a couple of people that were part of that decision-making process and what was very evident is that they are saying this is not you know a Michelin sort of guide type of thing. This is not about cheap or expensive. It's about just the best in their respective category can be low or high. And honestly, I'm not saying this uh, just because you're my friend or because it's an Egyptian restaurant. I think it's very well deserved. I think you guys made your mark. You worked incredibly hard. What, what in your view, do you think they thought about? I mean, if, I, if you were a very hard question, obviously, for you being the founder of the brand and having been so close to this brand for a decade now. But what do you think objectively
3: were maybe the highlights of why Zuba on such a prestigious and important list on its first year as well? Well, I mean, it's a really tough question, right? Because it's uh, the it's such a surreal, the idea of being one of fifty best is an insane concept, right? So, so putting that, there's so many phenomenal restaurants across the Middle East. So, why us specifically? Um, is hard to say, but I think there's a number of things that I hope are the reasons. And I think we've been doing this for ten years now. Actually, end of this month will be our ten year anniversary. And when we started it, we started something that was different that you would think would have, been our, would have been very widespread, but we said, why is Egyptian food not on the map and why can't we create fantastic Egyptian, Egyptian food and introduce it to the world and do it at the best possible quality and rival any international cuisine? Right? That was kind of the premise of what we created Zuba for. And we created a chef-centric model to do that. Mustafa is one of the most talented chefs in the region, and I think he's done an incredible job. Um, and I, you know, this is kind of his award. Look, I think you're absolutely right, and,
0: and I hope that this is sort of just the beginning in many ways. Have you have seen a noticeable difference since being recognized, whether on sales, on perception, on marketing, on I don't know? You have obviously more than one location across multiple countries as well. Were there noticeable features post
3: win honestly it, it not dramatically and I think that the PR impact potentially of this award is a lot more uh, is a lot stronger in the UAE maybe because it's based there and maybe I, just, think that's I right. don't know maybe there's more of a recognition of the award itself globally in the UAE in egypt it's it's not a big thing it's again it's brand new so that hopefully will change with time um, but I think what we've gotten is a lot more like in the culinary world, we've gotten a lot of recognition. So in the foodie world, in the world that appreciates and understands the the scale of this award, we've gotten incredible feedback. And I think it's also been amazing from a team standpoint in terms of team morale. Just that feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of you know achievement with being on this list um, has been quite spectacular. But um, in terms of local crowd in Egypt overnight, no, not really. I mean, we're still the same Zuba, and people are. You know, this. I don't think anything really changed with the local, uh, with the local scene there. I do believe, and we'll see, that it might have more and more of an impact with time on tourists coming to Egypt. Just people, you know, first time trials of Zuba, especially in Cairo, uh, by people visiting, and um, and I think it's just a, It kind of it's another stamp of approval of what we're doing. Um, and I think that that's um, or maybe approval is not the right word. Maybe it's recognition. Um, and we'll see what that means. No, but no, it is. I mean, look, I mean, when people that come into cities, you know,
0: for a couple of days and looking for places to go to, you know, they go to, you know, used to go to guides, right? And this is a very important part of it. I happen to think that the impact you will see is in Egypt, of course, but also elsewhere. I think you will see it in Riyadh where you already operate. You will see it to some extent in New York, maybe. And you will see it potentially in countries that you might enter. So to your point, I think the UAE is very much the center in many ways, simply because there are so many Dubai and, and, to some extent, Abu Dhabi restaurants on that list. I think if you decide to enter this market, this hopefully helps, you know, in terms of recognition. Um, so look, and it's the first year, like you said. But I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad to see that, um, you know, it's helped on the PR front. Um, would you do, as a result of winning this award, anything differently? Would that be sort of on let's say your radar as you think about changes or tweaks or will you just be like business as usual we we'll do our best we try to produce the best quality food and then if we stay on
3: that list or if progress on that list be it? Um, yeah I mean I think it's actually the contrary we're kind of uh, this, this, this tells us keep doing what you're doing keep doing it well and uh, the stakes are higher now right um, it's a lot easier to impress people when they walk into your place for the first time as a random Egyptian restaurant um, that someone recommended or that has some, uh, you know, some good press around it, etc. It's a lot uh, more to live up to when you walk into an Egyptian restaurant selling, and what we you know, the things that we sell and uh, have in the back of your mind that this is one of the 50 best in the Middle East. So I think w- we have to, the challenge today is to just live up to that and to keep doing what we're doing at the level that we've been doing it and make sure that we um, are executing and continuing to innovate uh, you know at the same standard we've been for 10 years um, and that's definitely that. that's the whole uh, that, that's that's everything we're working on. I mean I think from an expansion standpoint this has always been a concept that we're looking to continue to expand and this has kind of given us a bit more confidence in getting more aggressive with new markets new locations um, which we're already doing honestly but this really Helps and definitely we're looking to places like the UAE now. with more aggression, a lot more excited about that. the other markets in the GCC, we're excited about our continuous expansion in the US and in Egypt. Um, so, uh, definitely the w- the takeaway here is let's keep being, let's keep doing things like we've been doing it, and let's make sure we're doing it um, at the same levels that got us this recognition to begin with.
0: Have either of you, given you have your kind of insiders in the industry? Uh, a, a, a sense of post awards, how those restaurants or researchers have fared, what their action has been?
2: Well, I, I was very curious. And I went to Three fills the I weekend after the, um, after the awards. The awards. Um, and there was a 40 minute queue. It was extremely awesome. well handled. There was a person there um, with an online system. They they took your name, they messaged you, they called you. We went next door, had a lemonade. It's very and democratic of you that you
0: didn't elbow your way in. I know, now. and
2: actually... No, my, 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 you waited, Samantha. My, my, my the Egyptian
0: was, in me would have totally... Do you
2: know who I am? My friend said to me, are you not going to pull rank? And I said, absolutely not. Good for um, you. I will not, especially... I, in, in this case, where there were a lot of people that had never been to Three Fills before. Mm. So, but it was very well handled. 40 minutes later, went in, table inside. Um, yeah, and at that point, I was recognised. Um, but um, I'd love to see how long they're going to sustain that up for. They, they are expanding, they're creating more space, etc., to, um, um, to allow for this this new demand. But I think that that in itself is is fantastic. And it's this little unlicensed place. And actually, just going back to something we touched upon earlier, it's only in this part of the world that we differentiate between unlicensed That's and correct. licensed. That's and correct. actually, UAE, like, because of alcohol licensing That's laws. That's
0: correct. Saudi doesn't have it at all. So, in Egypt, that doesn't so matter. So our
2: unlicensed restaurant here are a little bit like the holes in the walls yes, elsewhere Correct. correct. Um, so we may not have those little hole- holes in the walls at the moment but we do have that representation on the list.
0: I think one of the challenges I guess that I'm looking at is because you have these hole in the walls and you have those sort of bigger, people are finding it hard to compare, right? Yeah. Because it's a bit apples and oranges. Yeah. And I think maybe that's one of the, the fun things about this list, but also the challenging things. Going back to the Michelins, oh, I have Jean-Pierre, I don't know who, and I have Jean-Paul, I don't know that. and It's very easy to compare the two. You can't do that here. Zuma and Three Fields are very, very different animals.
1: And I think that's what's great about the list. I, I think I yeah. think it's, it's great that you can't buy your way onto it.
0: That. Very, very important.
1: You can't, and and you know, and it was actually a question that you know when I was announced as academy chair back in July was, or sorry, August was. Okay, so how do we get on? How do we get onto the list? Like, what do I pay? Like, <laughs> yeah. da, 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 da. and yeah. um, who
0: do I give a check? Yeah,
1: exactly, and because it's kind of the way that things are done here sometimes. Yes, and, 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 and to the, be fair other
0: markets as well.
1: Yeah, people yeah. with big marketing yeah. budgets, people Absolutely. with you
0: know big checkbooks. Get their way. A no, if you things,
1: advertise, right? yeah. if you buy a table, exactly. if you da 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 There exactly. are ways and there were means no tables of, to buy of getting into short lists and da-da-da. So there was nothing there was nothing anyone could do to get themselves in. in yeah They just had to be good. Yeah. You know, it was as simple as as simple and as complicated as that, you know, because what does it mean to be best? It's completely different for everyone you ask, you know, um, and that's that's the thing about food. That's the thing about our industry. It is so subjective. Um, yes. But but yeah, I mean, but still, saying that there are things that you can do, you know, um, make sure that you know you talked about service before service, food, atmosphere, ambiance, like there needs to be a usp there needs to be something that will keep people coming back because if people don't come back you know you're you're running a business at the end of the day you know you still have to keep your doors open so um you know activations are great i mean you spoke about that before as well you know give people a reason even your loyal clientele a reason to to keep Supporting you to keep coming. Differentiation. Yeah. yeah.
2: And actually, another about the list. Another observation is all those restaurants on the list. And again, speaking more towards UAE because that's the scene that I'm more comfortable with. They're all very successful concepts.
0: Yes, that's very true.
2: The list will help elevate them um, and elevate their profile globally. It's it's a cherry, yeah. Um, But they're all successful concepts in their own right.
0: Thank you for joining us on this special 50th episode of the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hesho Montasser, a.k.a. The Traveling Gourmand. Also, check out the second part of our conversation about the MENA 50 Best List, where we talk about the impact the list will have on the Middle East food scene and some future predictions from Samantha and Claudia. Plus, don't miss another special guest at the end of the episode, one of the region's hottest chefs, Reef Othman from Reef Koshiaki. You'll find that and a lot more in your podcast players along with this episode, so do check it out. This episode was produced by Chirag Desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. Make sure to follow us in your favorite podcast player if you aren't already, so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also find all of our past episodes on our website at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. Again, that's thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends and leave us a review. Until next time.